This is Karen Hunter, and welcome to The Hub. Who wants to walk around with dingy, stained teeth? You know I drink a lot of tea, and if you're like me, you don't want anyone to know that. And if you've never really whitened your teeth before, you should try Power Swabs. They're clinically proven to whiten an average of two shades in the first five minutes. We're talking the first five minutes. In the holidays around the corner, you want the whitest, brightest, most sparkling teeth you could possibly have. And Power Swabs will never leave your teeth or gums sore or sensitive like those other whitening treatments. And it's totally safe and effective on all dental work. So if you're not happy, Power Swabs are backed by a 30-day money-back guarantee. You need to try Power Swabs, and you will not believe how much whiter your teeth will be in just five minutes. I got a great deal for you. Go to PowerSwabs.com. Use my code KAREN, 40% off, an additional $10 off, plus a free quick stick. Yep, that's right, 40% off, plus $10 off, plus a free quick stick, or you can call them, 800-668-1749. Use my code KAREN. Karen, and that's powerswabs.com code Karen or 800-668-1749. My code is Karen. Go to powerswabs.com today. My Wellness Wednesday partner in power. She is general counsel for the Center for Law and Social Justice at the Great Mega Evers College in Brooklyn. Let me welcome Laurie Daniel Favors. Hey, hey, hey. Hey, Larry. How you doing? And, How you do- and that voice, <laughs> my fellow Torian, my brother from another mother, out here in these streets suing people. Now, <laughs> on the show today, finally live, let me welcome the one and only, the great, illustrious, media mogul extraordinaire, Byron. Alan. Wow, look at that. Look at that. Karen Hunter. Karen Hunter. I love you, girl. I love, I love you, too. you, girl. I'm so oh. happy I'm here with you. Listen, I've been cussing you out for the last to, several weeks. I'm like, how you gonna be on a breakfast club? I mean, you just like I've never been cussed out by text, but that yeah, was a, that, there's yeah. a first for everything. You felt it though, right? I, I, said, I know I did this see your ass on a breakfast club. <laughs> <laughs> and you ain't well. What In the words of Eddie Murphy, that wasn't me. I seat you. I seat you there. You were here, there, the other. I said, so that means he's in New York. I came, I went back to LA. Went home and I came back. You know, one of the big reasons to come see you. Okay, so right. I came back. So I, I much respect, much Thank respect. You. Thank you. So I, I love and adore you. You're amazing, and I'm a big fan. And uh, you're a great asset of uh, Sirius XM Radio. And uh, you know, I, I when I see Scott Greenstein, I tell him I love her. Give her a raise. Well, I say an amen. Uh, okay. Amen. <laughs> I didn't know we went church up in yeah, here. Yeah, was, amen. What you know about that, Byron Allen? There tell, you us, go. tell us where you where, where from whence you come. Oh, I'm originally from Detroit, Michigan, and I was born there in uh, 1961, April 22nd, 1961, Miss Taurus. Uh, so I'm an old school Negro. I'm 58 years old. So, you know, I was there when the Motown was making the music for the world. And so the only thing I ever knew growing up was, Mo- as a matter of fact, those acts used to come perform in my skating rink. And uh, so... Uh, roller my- skating. Oh, well, I was roller... My grandfather... Uh, my family's they still own the roller skating rink mm. on Schaefer, the rollercade, roller rink on Schaefer. And my granddaddy built it uh, brick by brick. And I was roller skating before I was walking. Mm. My, it's my, my very first job in life was a floor guard. And a lot of people don't know anything about a floor guard. Uh, my job was to stand in the middle of the skating rink on skates with a whistle. And when kids would start to fall, 
they would pile up to the sit to the ceiling, you know, because they just fall and then they just start piling up right up to the ceiling. And I had to blow the whistle. So my uncle or my cousin would take the needle off the record, shotgun, and then everybody would stop piling up to the ceiling. That was my job. Or I had to figure out if I was fast enough or strong enough to skate over and scoop the kid up and get the kid out of the way. So I had to make, you know, management decisions right then and there in the middle oh, of the skating okay. rink. Nice. Right there, Leadership right? Blow the skills whistle. skills in the skating rink. That's it. I was, I, was like, I, was ro- I was walking. I was roller skating before I was walking. So, mm. uh, you know, look, I come from humble beginnings. My mother got pregnant with me when she was 16, had me uh, 17 days after her 17th birthday. And, uh, you know, look, I wasn't born with civil rights. And uh, I always say when you look at that little black teenage girl and that little black baby, you wouldn't bet on us. Mm -hmm. And uh, I was seven years old in Detroit, Michigan in uh, 68 when they killed Martin Luther King. And, uh, you know, like I said, I've never seen my mother and my grandmother scream so loud and so hard in my life. And by the time I turned my head from looking at them screaming on the porch because I was in the middle of the street playing baseball, mm. next thing you know, I turned my head. I was looking down the barrel of a of a tank, uh, an American military tank. And next thing I know, troops are coming down the street and dogs and ba- rifles, bayonets. And we had full on riots and mm. our, our neighborhood was on full military shutdown. Mm. And was uh, it my, a preemptive shutdown or had your community already engaged? No, it was well, the moment it got out that Martin yeah. Luther King was assassinated. It was un, it was just like it just got lit up like a Christmas tree. But the mm. military was in place because mm. right. they that knew. was where I was going. Yeah, so how knew. did the military position themselves oh, they sufficiently? Knew. They right. knew it was right. going to happen. Right. And they came in immediately. And there were over 100 riots uh, throughout America. And, they, you know, the military was in place in most major black cities. And so they just. Is there a base in Detroit? I'm not aware of that, but you know, you have National Guard everywhere. Right. So it was basically the National Guard troops that just came in everywhere. And they so just the did. National Guard is called up upon yep. hearing that this man, our, our leader, has been assassinated. And preemptively, they were able to infiltrate into black spaces. Well, it's a little deeper than that. I'm making a movie about it. Oh. And it's a, there's a movie that I'm making. And basically, it's, a, it's about a case where Coretta Scott King sued. Uh, James Earl Ray for $100 at the request of his attorney Hmm. because his attorney said, I can prove to you who killed your husband. And she sued his client for 100 bucks and he paraded 70 people into a courtroom and they testified as what they on what they did to organize his assassination. And that has been sealed Hmm. for 75 years. And that Hmm. and so that that's information that's in a movie that Hmm. we're making. Wait, yeah. so you know, um, and we're talking with Byron Allen, mm-hmm. and Louise Favors is here, because you had a relationship with Coretta Scott. Yeah, I love Coretta. Yes. She was amazing. She was phenomenal. I call her the queen of America, and uh, I learned so much from her because I, I wanted to look at Martin Luther King through her eyes because mm. I figured nobody would know him better than her, and she saw a side of him that no one else saw. So I pursued her many years to get the rights to make a, a miniseries about her, and she, I just learned so much. She she allowed me to interview her for hours, and uh, I'll just it, it's one of my greatest you know it's just one of my greatest moments in life just being with her and interviewing her. And she taught me a lot. You know, she said, "Look, as black people, we had four major challenges. Number one, end slavery. Number two, end." Jim Crow, which I think was more damaging than slavery, mm. because, you know, when we were slaves, we were considered an asset. And as we all know, at one point, slavery was 60 percent 
of the GDP. It's one of the biggest businesses mm-hmm. in the history of America That's and right. no close second. We just had a, a town hall yesterday with the purveyors, the creators of the 1619 Project from New York Times Magazine. Mm. And what you're saying, cotton, once the cotton gin happened, yep. That's it right. was lights out yeah. and it was brutality yeah. at, at the highest level and yes. black mm-hmm. bodies fueling yeah. this machine because right. it made America great and made America fin- very very wealthy mm-hmm. yeah. very wealthy 60% of the gross domestic I mean the GDP that's huge 60% yeah. like you have huge industries nowhere close to that 60%. No, bigger than the railroads and <coughs> everything and, and the in, the factories, all that combined yeah. right. was in the enslaved. And the then you, you made it a market where they where, where it became a commodity, slave trading. And so in Europe. And uh, so, you know, when you became, when you were a slave, you were an asset. The moment you were freed, uh, then we became a liability. And a pariah. And so they said, look, we have to murder you. We have to lynch you. We have to incarcerate you because we're not going to compete with you over the great American dollar. Mm. So, you know, Jim Crow was a very, you know, very rough period. And we still ex- we still experience it today. She said number two achieves. Number three. Yeah, no, she said number three, excuse me. Yeah, number three achieves civil rights. Um, <clears throat> and so. And then she choked up, and then she said, number four, the real reason they killed my Martin, achieve economic inclusion. And she said, you know, look, they didn't kill him over the speech, you know, I have a dream. You know, he, by the time they killed him, he had achieved civil rights. They killed him over, mainly over the speech, the other America. Mm. There are two Americas. One America has opportunity, access to education, um, you know, bank loans that are not, you know, predatory. What does it matter if I can sit at the same lunch counter as my white counterpart and I cannot afford the same hamburger? There are two Americas and two Americas will not survive. We need one America. And it's as if he wrote the lyrics, he wrote that speech yesterday. Mm. And it applies today. So when you look at it, you know, we have these two Americas and two Americas won't survive. When you look at, look, we're about 330 million people out of a global global population of 7 billion people. Okay. China has 200 million kids in college. Two thirds of our (laughs) nation in America is in college in China. Half the women in this country, half of the women in this country live at or below the poverty line, at or below the poverty line. And you have over two, two and a half million homeless children. So if the mothers fail, so will the children. The mothers must succeed. You can't have the mothers living at or below the poverty line. Let's, you let's, let's you need every American fully engaged and every American educated because here's what other countries know like China and Russia. As the global population goes from 7 billion to 10 billion, we don't have enough resources, mm. food, water, supplies to support the bottom 5 billion. So the bottom 5 billion will perish and the top 5 billion will survive and will live. So we need the American tribe, we need America to be fully educated, fully engaged, and at the top of the pyramid and above that 50% mark in order for us to really, you know, thrive as a country. So one America is still very much alive today. We need one America. So I learned that from her. 
and it's something that's always stuck with me. Let's go back to your mom. What what was her name? Her name is Carolyn. She's still living. Absolutely. Was, you know, she, I mean, she's still, oh, she's all a baby. Right. She had all me right. as a baby. That's all right. <laughs> I'm still a baby. Thank God. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, right. she ended up, uh, you know, she ended up uh, going to UCLA. Okay. Because I was going to ask, you know, when you talk about these things, there's like, you made it in spite of, right? Yeah. And so two things are true. Like, you know, we've had these discussions before. Yes. You know, the system is racist at yes. the same time. And I don't want to do the exceptionalist thing, but, you know. A lot of us have come through this system and it's made us stronger and almost indefeatable as a result. Of yeah. It. And you I know, look at you as, as an example of that. Yeah. I think, you know, first of all, thank you. Yeah. My mother, uh, she ended up going to UCLA and getting her master's degree in cinema TV production. And while wow. she was at UCLA uh, in, in film school, she went to NBC to get a job. And she asked, you know, and they, they didn't have a job for her. And she said, you know, she asked, do you have an intern program? Nice. And they said no. And she asked a question that changed our lives, changed the trajectory of our lives forever. Will you start one with me? It's back. Fat Fit Fun is here. The winter box is on sale now. You can go out right now and get it. You don't have to go anywhere, actually. You can just go on FatFitFun.com, use my coupon code, which is Karen, and get, get started shopping for yourself or someone else. This is the season to really do that. And I love FatFitFun because I never disappoint. I always send these boxes to people I love, including my mom. And this winter, you can choose from many different items. They have uh, full-size items for women, premium beauty, lifestyle, fitness, home wellness products, all there. You just fill out a little questionnaire so that they can tailor make the box and it comes right to the doorstep of the person that you're sending it to each season. There's no hassle of shopping and worrying about, oh, is this gonna, are they gonna like it? They're gonna love it, all right? And I promise you, if you go right now, cause you gotta go right now, it sells out really fast. And I remember the last box I got from my mom, she was overjoyed cause I got some wine glasses for she and her husband and a bunch of other stuff like a blanket for them to do a picnic and there was a kimono in there so she can get anyway you can go check it out for yourself let me tell you this is an amazing product fab fit fun and if you go right now 49.99 the box is more than $200 in value 49.99 at fabfitfun.com use my coupon code this is Karen seasonal subscription box full size beauty fitness fashion and lifestyle products at fabfitfun.com Coupon code, this is Karen. $10 off your first box, and it retails $49.99, valued over $200. Check it out. So she didn't just hear that no. She heard that no and said, well, you know, maybe we can go a step further. Right. And they mm -hmm. said, yes, we will start one with you. And my mom ended up being an intern. They realized that, you know, she was not only beautiful, but smart. And uh, they... Uh, they gave her an opportunity to work in the publicity and marketing department. And as a kid, obviously, we could not afford child care. I went out to work with her. And while she was at NBC giving tours or working in publicity, and I would sit there and in the studio, and I watched Johnny Carson mm -hmm. do The Tonight Show. And I watched Red Fox tape Sanford and Son and Flip Wilson do The Flip Wilson Show. And I watched Bob Hope and George Burns do their specials. Mm -hmm. I watched a young sportscaster on the, the local NBC affiliate do uh, do his thing, and that was Brian Gumble. 
and I watched a young weatherman do his thing, and that ended up being Pat Sajak. Pat Sajak. Was the weatherman on, K, on KNBC, mm. the NBC affiliate in, in Los Angeles. And I just thought, what a wonderful way to go through life, making people laugh. you know. And I would just go from studio to studio to studio. And I would watch them do talk shows and game shows and sitcoms. I watched them do uh, soap operas, and I watched them do the news. And I thought, this is what I'm going to do with my life. I'm going to make people mm. laugh. I'm going to... Make you know I'm gonna make television. I'm gonna make content. And I started performing at the comedy store when I was about 13, 14 years old. And and uh, a comedian saw me uh, and he said, "Hey, that was funny." And uh, Wayne Klein and uh, he was great. And uh, he said, "Can I get your number? I know somebody might be interested in working with you." And I said, "Sure." And next thing I know, I got a call about a week later from Jimmy J.J. Walker, who was hotter than the sun. Dino Mike. Dino Mike, because he was on Good Times. And and Jimmy Walker said, hey, my man Wayne Klein said you're funny. And and so if my man Wayne Klein says you're funny, then you're funny. And you want to come right with me and my boys? And I said, yeah, let me ask my mama. And he said, said, oh, my God, he's got to ask his mama. And And then I heard some guy in the background said, tell her not to worry. We'll have cookies and milk for him <laughs> and I thought who's that knucklehead and uh, my mom uh, let me go over and I went over there and I walked into Jimmy Walker's uh, apartment in his living room and sitting there was uh, Jay Leno who mm. was sleeping in his car and David Letterman who had just come out from Indianapolis in a red pickup truck because he didn't think he was going to make it and uh, he wanted to be able to get back into his pickup truck and drive back home to Indianapolis wow and Jay and Dave were getting 200 bucks a week, and Jimmy paid me $25 for every joke I sold him. And I sold him my first joke, and I quit my paper route. Do you remember it? Uh, milk's, uh, mothers uh, say the craziest things. Uh, this milk smells sour. Here, taste it. I think that was the first one. Or was it, uh, let me see, uh, uh, when black people go to the movies and white people go to the movies, it's very different when white people don't like a movie, they'll just get up and walk out. When black people don't like a movie, they're like, hey, this movie sucked, give me everybody's money back. <laughs> so I was just having fun. And uh, I was a kid, what were we talking, 44 years ago. And uh, so I was it, I just kept writing for him and uh, it was just great to just sit in the living room. Marty Nadler, who went on to write and produce Laverne and Shirley and Happy Days and uh, Jeff Stein and Wayne Dugan went on to do uh, Mr. Belvedere. Just really smart, good people. And I learned a lot. Learned the art of writing a joke. I learned that that craft of writing a joke and the right, the right way to do it. And I learned with the best. Jay, you know, David Letterman, oh. Jay Leno, and, and just a, a kid sitting in that room and Jimmy Walker. And I was ended up being the youngest comedian to do The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson. And I was 18. And I did it a week before I graduated from high school. I was hoping it was going to get me a date to the prom, but it didn't. But uh, or it <laughs> did didn't. you go? Yeah, I went to the prom and went with. I uh, had a big crush on a girl, and she said, "Well, you know, why don't you go out with my girlfriend?" And we'll, I took her, and she. I had a lovely date. She was fantastic, and uh, you know, I got a number of offers, and uh, one of the offers was Real People, and Real People that. just did very well. It was one of the very first reality shows in America, and uh, it was on from '79 to '84. And it took me all over America. I really got to see America because so much of America is not L.A. and New York. It's everything in between these little small towns, Coshocton, Ohio and Waterloo, Iowa, you know, mm-hmm. no, you know, so small. They don't even have a, st- a stoplight. Some of these towns, uh, not those in particular, you know, three, four hundred people and a couple of stop signs, good people and really got to see America. And, and I just started going on tour with everybody and went out on tour and just lived out on the road. 
Um, what was that like? Oh my God, that was crazy. You and know? who is the everybody? Yeah. Oh well, my God, like I had you know, Jim, I, Jimmy that, JJ that same crew. No, no, those were the those were my comedy buddies. When I went out on tours and as an opening act, I literally, I had one of the best personal appearance agents of all times, a guy named Ben Bernstein, and Ben represented everybody, and I do mean everybody. So I got a call from Ben Bernstein once, and he goes, you know, Byron, he goes, listen, I always run everything by you. I go, yeah, yeah, yeah. I go, what do you have, Ben? What do you got? He goes, well, there's this young lady, and uh, it's her second time on stage, and uh, we're doing a showcase for her because we really want to introduce her to the industry. And, uh, you know, we just want somebody to warm up the crowd. And I, I, he goes, I'm sure you won't be interested because it's just, you know, it's a showcase for the industry. And it's just, you know, help her feel comfortable and warm up the crowd. I go, how much is it paid? And, you know, Ben, he goes, $50. I go, $50. I go, all right, you did your gig. You did your job, Ben. I'm good. I'm good. I don't need, I, I, I pass, right? So I said, but by the way, what's this girl's name? He goes, Whitney Houston. <laughs> I go I go what he goes Whitney Houston I said oh okay wait up wait up wait up hold up hold up I said you know I was in Tower Records the other day and I was walking down the aisle you know how you go to the record stores and you're just kind of looking at the covers and stuff this is back in the day when we when, had record we had stores yeah and, and I had an afro so um and I said I saw her on the cover of this album Orange. And I said, oh, my God. She had her hair back. And she was like, slick back. And and I said, oh, my God. I said, that girl is beautiful. I don't even care if she can sing. I'm going to buy that album. Right? I was just like, she's beautiful. I'm buying that album. Right? I said, man, not only is she beautiful, that girl can sing. Like, I actually love the album. Like, every song's a hit, man. Mm -hmm. Like, not one or two. I was just thinking maybe the girl could get maybe get half a song right. Oh, no. I said, no, Ben, it's home. I said, no, no, I'm good. I'm good. I'll take the $50. I'm good. I said, just give me two seats. And, I, and you know, I'm going to take my mama and we're going to go see this. And sure enough, I opened for Whitney. And Houston. Whitney Houston, I'm Steve. sorry. Houston. Yeah, I'm so sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, I, I was, no, no, no. I'm uh, just reiterating. Yeah, yeah Whitney. Yeah, so I opened for Whitney. And, uh, she gets like five standing ovations. Mm. And I'm like, Ben, come on. This girl didn't need me to warm up this crowd. She hit that stage, man. She she sucked all the oxygen out of the room. He goes, yeah, yeah. But he goes, it, it made her feel good just to break the ice fire. And I go, okay, that's good. I said, She's amazing. Thank you, right? Never thought anything about it. Ben calls me up. Like, I don't even know how much. It wasn't even that much longer. It was like, boom, like that. Ben calls me up. He goes, man, Whitney loves you. He goes, she really loves you and her dad and everybody. He goes, so she's going to go on tour. And uh, they want you to do some dates with her and open for her. And the first one is Carnegie Hall. Mm. I go, what? He goes, yeah. He, I said, uh, he goes, yeah. I go, is it more than $50? <laughs> he goes, yeah, I got you more than $50. I said, I'm there. Right? So I open for Whitney at Carnegie Hall. And I just, you know, I just love her. Right? So everybody knows in the entertainment business who does concerts, you don't open the side door to the street. You don't open that door because anybody who's supposed to be backstage has a pass and they are backstage. Right. So I get off. I do my thing. I do my comedy open for Whitney. I go backstage. I'm walking. I go back to see her. Right. I go back, say hello, blah, blah, blah. Spend some time with her. 
So next thing I know, somebody's knocking on the side door. And they're banging on that door. And I'm like, no, 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 I'm not supposed to open that door. I'm not opening that door. That's like you like in a horror movie. Like, don't go in the attic. <laughs> You're going to get your head chopped off kind of thing. I'm not opening the door. But they kept banging like, oh, no, I'm supposed to be backstage. And the way they banged, I'm like, yeah, I think this person's supposed to be back here. I'm going to do what I'm not supposed to mm. do. I'm going to open this door. And I, I might get stabbed in the face, but I'm going to open this door. So I open the door and standing there with a dozen red roses is Robert De Niro. What? Wow. And I go, what? Wow. <laughs> I'm like, I go, I'm not supposed to open the door. What you doing here, Robert De Niro? And I'm looking at him going, okay, I think he might be lost. <laughs> and, I, and I didn't know Robert was like really into sisters. I didn't know all that. I so like, I, this yeah. actually yeah. makes sense with yeah. the legend. Right? So the, I didn't, yeah. I'm like, I'm looking at the, like, <laughs> and he And Robert looks at me. He didn't even skip a beat. He goes, where's Whitney? Oh. <laughs> I go, Whitney. Oh, Whitney. <laughs> I go, oh, I said, okay, you see that dressing room at the end of the hall? And you see those two really big brothers at the end of the hall standing in front of the door? Okay, she's behind that door. Now, if you get past those two really big brothers standing at the end of that hall, there's three more in the room with her, mm-hmm. and one of them is her is a brother. <laughs> And he, I thought that would deter him and make him go and run. That man walked down that hall brave as I. I said, man, that is one brave <laughs> white dude right there. And he went down there and gave her those roses. I never forgot that. I'm going to put that in my book one day. So I went on tour. And Ben had me on tour with everybody. He had me on tour opening for Lionel Richie, Kenny oh Rogers, God. the Pointer Sisters, Dolly Parton, Julie Andrews, Lou Rawls, Al Jarreau, Pointer Sisters, uh, Gladys Knight, Patti LaBelle. Uh, I'm trying to figure out who he didn't have me open for. I went from everywhere, from Carnegie Hall to Disneyland to 20,000-seat arenas to you name it. And I was just on the road for, like, almost 20 years of my life, just out Mm. there, just traveling, doing stand-up, and uh, just traveling quite a bit, doing comedy clubs, and just having a good time. And finally, uh, you know, I started my company for my television company from my dining room table in 93. Why? Why? That's a great question. You know, look, um, I realized it wasn't show business. It was business show. And so I made it a point to learn the business side of show. Someone was like, was there a mentor or somebody that, you know, because we all get tapped on the shoulder, you know, because yeah. you're out there you're at this point making good money. Yeah. You at know this what? Point, you're more than making a living. Yeah. But you but, you know, I found that if you're not in a studio, you're not in the business. You can rot to hmm. death on the road. And Hmm. you need to be in a studio, whether it's a recording studio, a TV studio, or a movie studio. In my opinion, if you're not in a studio, you're not in the business. Because being on the road, that's not, you're just going to wear yourself thin. You're going to rot yourself out just being on the road. You got to be in a studio and you have to reach the masses. So when I was on Real People, there was a contract dispute. And I was fired for a period of time. And it was the worst thing that ever happened to me and the very, very best thing that happened to me in life. And so I was fired and, and that made me, I had that epiphany that, Hey, it's not show business, it's business show. And I need to learn the business side. And so I made it a point. I came here to NATP, my, the National Association of Television Programming Executives, NATP. And it was here at the New York Hilton. And I came and it was January of 81 and I was 19 years old and I walked into the New York Hilton. And I was with my mother 
and it was cold, 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 especially for a couple of people from L.A. And I said, who's the best in the business? And they said, Al Massini. And I said, and who's Al Massini? And they said, he's upstairs. He's selling his shows on like the 45th floor or, uh, or so. And so I said, okay. And it took me a half an hour to get up the elevator because it was so jammed. And I walked in, and there he was. He was selling his television show with the biggest movie star in the world on his pilot. And it was Burt Reynolds mm. on the set of Smokey and the Bandit, wow. January of 81. And he talked about how he was going to have the world's biggest movie stars on every day. And this was a great show. And it was going to change the face of television. And they said, and these these TV stations, these these people who ran the TV station said, sounds great, Al. What's the name of the show? He said, Entertainment Tonight. Mm. And I watched him sell Entertainment Tonight. And he was selling it in January of 81. And it went on the air in September of 81. And I walked up and introduced myself, and I said, I'm Byron Allen, and I'm here to learn from you. Where are we having dinner, buddy? And, uh, you know, I was really fortunate. He was just a phenomenal guy. Um, you know, got married four times, loved the women, never had kids. And uh, I became like a son he never had, and he became like a second father to me. And he was just such, such a good guy, such a gracious guy. Just talked to me like, you know, like a son, like a like his very best friend in life. He just was open because I think he could see the passion in my eyes. He could see my soul was burning to to try and get anywhere to the near the level of him. And I watched him sell Entertainment Tonight and Star Search and Lifestyles with Rich and Famous and Solid Gold and Run Away with the Rich and Famous. One of the first syndicated uh, miniseries, A Woman Called Golda, about Golda Meir. Mm. And I just learned a lot. And uh, he was just great. And I started my company from my dining room table. And uh, he was he said to me, he, he had started his company from his dining room table. Hmm. And he had built uh, the company to where it was doing over a billion dollars a year in wow. revenue, over a billion. And you know, that that's a lot of money, especially, it's not so much 80s. today, yeah. but it's a lot of money yeah. back in the, you know, in the 80s. Hold and, and up, then, it's a lot today. It's Knock a, yeah, it yeah. off, rich ass <laughs> No, 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 <laughs> but, I mean, you have companies out there. But I mean, when you, but when you think about what he was doing in the 80s, cause you have companies out there doing 500 billion a year now. But you know, it was one of the first times I'd ever, heard somebody saying, hey, I built it up to where it's doing over a billion dollars. You know, that was back in the 80s. So it's just, he was just quite a phenomenal human being to me. And so I started my company. I started uh, from my dining room table 26 years ago. We're going to go through the anatomy of that because sure. I'm slow walking this. No, yeah, no, no, I, no. I appreciate that. There's yeah, a lot no, of nuggets I, here. I, I need to know. I need to know. We're going to talk Weather Channel. Yes, absolutely. Whatever we you may, want. We may talk Comcast. Absolutely. Whatever you want. <laughs> Whatever you want. Byron Allen is here, y'all. So you're going to brush your teeth twice a day anyway. You might as well use the best toothbrush on the market. And Quip toothbrush is not the best because of how it looks. It looks great, by the way. It's a sexy toothbrush. It's great to travel with. But it's the best toothbrush because it was literally designed by a dentist, dentist and product designers. And they put a built-in timer in, two-minute timer, because that's how long the dentist recommends you're supposed to brush your teeth. And every Quip comes with... New brush heads every three months delivered right to your door. Now they kicked it up a notch. They're even adding in floss with a pre-lined, pre-marked string to help you use just the right amount of floss and toothpaste refills along with the brush head every three months so your routine is always correct. Three million people are using Quip, including me. And starting at $25, you go to getquip.com slash KH right now, and your first refill is free, plus free shipping. Did I mention that? Nope. Getquip, G-E-T-Q-U-I-P.com slash KH, and your first refill is free. 
you had mentioned a lot of your experiences before, and you talked about sort of this this closeness and age that you and your mom have. Yes. I'm presuming that relationship is still there. How, and I, maybe I shouldn't presume that, you can inform, but how has that closeness with her, how has that sort of shaped your business trajectory? A lot of times we hear about parents who are impediments to their children excelling and exceeding, but it sounds like you guys had a very different relationship where she was very clear that there was a purpose that you were sent here for. So what role does she play in your business development? You know, that's a great question. Um, you know, a, a number of people played a great role in my business development, just watching folks, whether it was even my grandfather back in Detroit with a skating rink. Yeah. And... Uh, it was something that was very important to me. I wanted to contribute to uh, the household because my mom was a single mom. Mm. And I didn't want to have her worrying about food or worrying about, you know, putting food on the table. Uh, there were conversations about her not being able to afford to keep me. And Wait, they, how old were you when you were having these types of concerns? Well, pretty much when we came here from, uh, from Detroit okay. in 68. You know, we were sleeping on a lot of sofas, mm. wow. sleeping okay. on a lot of floors. So and you were daily with, confronting yeah, you're lack staying of with, access. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're, you're, you're staying with family. You're yeah. staying with friends. And, uh, you know, we weren't out on the streets, you know. so But was, you're doubled up in a house yeah, in yeah, someone yeah. else, a, a yeah, family yeah. member, but in someone yeah, else's Family house. and friends yeah. were very nice to us and generous with us and lent us a sofa or a floor or an extra bedroom until mm. you get on your feet. Yeah. And uh, so not uncommon for a lot of folks. And I remember early on just wanting to work and contribute. And mm. I remember going to the supermarket and asking them for uh, a job. And they said, how old are you? And I was, at the time, I think it was about 10 years old. Mm. I was a young kid. And they said, you're too young to work here. And they, we don't have a job for you. And I just wanted to bag groceries. And uh, you know, they said, no, we don't have a job. And, I said, this guy right here, I said, how old is he? He was like 16 years old. And I go, well, You were one of the mouthy little children, weren't you? I'm a Taurus. I can already see You got to answer for everything. You got to go. And I said, this guy right here is putting the eggs at the bottom of the bag. And I know I'm 10 and I know not to do that because my grandmother taught me that early on. So I didn't get the job. But I remember walking out of the supermarket and I remember seeing this lady come in with a grocery basket. And I saw her take that grocery basket, put it in a machine, and she got a stamp. And I said, what is that? And she said, well, they don't want grocery baskets all over their parking lot because mm -hmm. it can dent the cars. Right. So if you get 100 uh, stamps, you can get a dollar's worth of food. Huh. So I would just work the, the parking lot and just keep getting stamps until I could bring some food home, uh, put some food, help put wow. some food on the table. Wow. So I remember learning early on that I wanted to contribute and not be a burden in any way and put some food on the table. Yeah. And uh, that was very important to me. And I never stopped hustling, mm. you know, hardwired. Yeah. You know? At the end of the day, if you get right down to the core of it, no matter, you know, whether buying the weather, owning the Weather Channel or buying a bunch of TV stations, it doesn't matter how much money you have. At the end of the day, I will always be that little scared boy wrapped around my mm. mother's arms. Mm. I see that to me, cause I work with a lot of young people and, mm. and I have lived in, I've had to live in a shelter when I was a child. Like mm. there was a period of time we went through a lot of economic travail. Mm. Um, and there was a recent article that talks about the fact that one in 10 New York City public school students, which is the largest public school system in the country, mm. are experiencing homelessness and being doubled up and tripled up in the families. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times when we think about that trope and that entire storyline, the end of that storyline ends up typically much more in the New Jack Swing sort of reality than it does media mogul, purchaser of, of, of Weather Channel. Weather and Channel. Yeah. And, and, yeah. and I, I like that the Weather Channel is a great example because it's a non-black 
type of space. So we it's sort of diversifying even how we think about where we are spending and how we are investing and what we're investing in. And so I to have you as an example who sort of experienced all of those things that even the students I'm dealing with now are still dealing with, it's always interesting to me to see how those paths can diverge and, and create something that is completely unexpected. Yeah, you know, path. that's a great point. You know, I was really fortunate. I knew that, look, at the end of the day, I'm never going to do anything to hurt my mother in terms mm. of, you know, I'm not going to break the law. Yeah. I'm not going to go to jail. Right. Um, we know right from wrong. We're going to figure it out, especially now. You, there's a lot of opportunity on the Internet. Mm. You can yeah. go buy something for a yeah. dollar, put it on eBay and sell it for ten dollars. Right. And nobody knows who they're doing business with. Right. And you just keep buying. If you, you're entrepreneurial. Let's just, you know, apply those skills to something that won't get you in trouble. And right. the Internet gives you global right. distribution. Right. You know, that's a great opportunity, especially mm. for black America the internet because that opens a lot of doors because yes there you know good luck you know if you're black and you're trying to get shelf space at a particular store right. you know that that door isn't open to you but i was really fortunate you know my dad worked at ford motor company i was gonna ask you yeah and you, my, did you know, you know oh him? yeah my dad he's a great guy and i have a great relationship with him uh my mother and father got a divorce when i was young when i was seven years she, old she was pregnant before she got married to him yes Yes. So at 17, she was pregnant. 16, she was 16, pregnant. She was pregnant. Had, me 17, at... had me 17 days after her 17th birthday, and I assume they got married very shortly after that. Okay. Mm -hmm. So I would go, you know, we had one car, and my dad was working the night shift, and we would drop him off at Ford Motor Company, and he would work the night shift, and he had his nice uniform and his, you know, pail. He had his lunch and a nice little uh, lunch pail. And my granddaddy worked at Great Lake Steel for over 30 years, and these guys really worked hard. They never called in sick a day of their lives. And my grandfather got to work an hour early every day and taught himself how to read and drink really bad coffee mm. and just didn't know he was drinking really bad coffee. So these were, you know, amazing, you know, icons for me, how mm. they work, that work ethic, that these were just great Americans, uh, blue, you know, blue collar, mid, you know, uh, you know, middle class and just worked day and night. And they were trying to figure out how to put 36 hours in a 24 hour day. And I'll never forget uh, my mother and my grandmother putting me and my uncle, Terrence, in, in, the, in, the, uh, in the car and saying, hey, let's go drive out into the suburbs of Detroit uh, and see where all the rich white folks live. Hmm. And we're driving around, and that's where the Ford family lives, and hmm. uh, that's where all these industrial families live, and one mansion's bigger than the next. And then they said something that just changed the way I saw myself. They said, and that's where Barry Gordy lives. Mm. And I went, what? They said, yeah, that's where Barry Gordy lives. And the founder of Motown and this unbelievable, wow. beautiful mansion. And they said, yeah, he's got a bowling alley and an indoor swimming pool. And I was like, what do you mean? I don't have to go to the factory with my dad and my grandfather? Mm. I can do something that's entrepreneurial and I can own a mansion and live in this unbelievable, beautiful neighborhood? And it was like, boom, yes. Wow. And that, that really helped change the way I saw myself just seeing the success of Barry Gordy. And That's why they say representation matters. Re yeah, yeah. That, yes, that's exactly right. Yeah. So that's why it was important to me to buy something like the Weather Channel. I didn't want to play just in the Negro Leagues. Mm. I wanted to be... In the, I wanted the world to see me and us in the international leagues, the global leagues. And I wanted kids out there to say, whoa, 
I can buy businesses. And I can buy businesses as institutionalized as the Weather Channel. Because I know there's some kids out there looking at me and it's helping to change the way they look at themselves. And I wanted that powerful image for them the way Barry Gordy was a powerful image for me. So take us back to that dining room table, Mm -hmm. setting up your business. What was the anatomy of that? Because a lot of people have ideas but can't execute. A lot of people don't know how to execute. They don't know where to start. Mm-hmm. So to have a dream to follow in the footsteps of whomever, what was, what did it look like step by step? Oh yeah, great question. You know, um, <clears throat> I did a spe- I did a special interviewing six or seven very funny friends of mine, and it was a one hour special. And I said, you know, I'm gonna make this a weekly one hour, hour show. So I sat at my dining room table, and from sunup to sundown, I called all 1,300 television stations in America. And I asked them to carry this once-a-week, one-hour show for free. And this show has 14 minutes of commercial time. I'm going to keep seven minutes. And, hey, you local television station, you keep seven minutes. You sell your seven minutes to local car dealers and supermarkets and banks, and I will sell my seven minutes to national advertisers, Pepsi, Johnson & Johnson, McDonald's, General Motors, and that's how I will pay my bills. So I sat at my dining room table and literally uh, each television station probably told me no 40 or 50 times. And after about 40 or 50,000 no's, I was able to squeeze out 150 yeses. I got a station in every market from New York City to Waterloo, Iowa. And that was my lineup of stations. How did you know you could do that, though? I just kept working for a year. I literally wore holes in my dining room chairs from sitting there Mm. from, you know, 5 in the morning until 7, 8 o'clock at night. Now, this is pre-internet. Pre-Google. This is pre-mobile phone. So your your phone's connected. I need, we need to paint this image, right? Because people, a lot of times we have this idea that people come to where this you is are. This is 93. And you just had it either handed or you yeah. just stumbled this into is, it. Yeah. Do this your phone's connected to a wall. Oh, then my phone's connected to a wall. This is either 90, this is 93, 92, 93. This is like... This is like pay phones, no mobile phone. The era of encyclopedias, <laughs> oh, not yeah. online and, search engines. <laughs> yeah, right? I, exactly. Right, I, right. I had a I had a directory of all of the television mm. stations in in America, and I would just go and check it off, and I write into my directory, and I just kept calling. I was just smiling and dialing. I had a company called Tribune that said to me hmm. that if you do get seventy five percent of the country to carry your TV show, we will give you we will sell your ad time, your seven minutes, hmm. and we will give you an advance of four hundred thousand dollars. What? And oh, that was motivating. Right. Yeah. So I'm gonna keep you know, I'm smiling and dialing. I'm gonna get that. I ended up getting like eighty five percent of the country. So I went way beyond the seventy five percent. And Tribune said, Well we changed our mind and hmm. we're not gonna get, sell your ad time and we're not gonna give you an advance of four hundred grand. So that was, and I, and I said, you know, I'm not, it was really tough because I'm sitting there and that's a really defining moment. And I remember earlier, uh, about a week or two earlier, uh, I called a television staff. I I called my mom because my mother was my keeping track of what clearances I had achieved and which ones. This mama is for real. Hashtag black mama. Yeah. So she was keeping track of what clearances I did and which ones I didn't get Mm. done. So, you know, you have markets one through two, two, uh, 212 markets, right? Television markets. So I noticed that uh, one of the markets I had cleared, she didn't have it on a clearance list. And I said, hey, 
why come you don't have that one on the clearance list? Because I got that one done. And she was shuffling around papers, and I called her at home, and she was shuffling around papers. She says, no, I don't have it. And I'm like, oh, Mom, you lost the paperwork. We can't afford to lose the paperwork. you got to be more organized. <laughs> so Mom. I, Mom. So, uh, so I called the guy, and I said, hey, look, Bob, it looks like my executive assistant has misplaced our paperwork. And, and, and so he says to me, uh, no, uh, I didn't send it back. And I go, oh, okay. He goes, yeah, I'm not going to do that deal. I'm, he goes, I'm, I changed my mind. I go, what? Like that? He goes, yeah, the guys from Paramount came in, and they told me, uh, like three guys came in, and they told me that you were calling me from your dining room table. And mm -hmm. they said that, he, that you were calling me from your dining room table and you were in your underwear, and that that show that you, that you were trying to sell me is not going to be there. And if you if you do get it on the air, it's going to be on the air for a week or two and then go away. Mm. And so he goes, I'm not doing that deal that I told you I was going to do with you. And I agreed to do with you. And I gave the time period to the boys from Paramount. I said, is that right? He said, yeah. I said, OK. I said, listen up, Bob. Um, here it comes. Um, <laughs> said, here it comes. No, no, I said, I get it. I said, I get it. I said, those guys are right. I am calling you from my dining room table, and I am in my underwear because I don't have an office, and why do I need to get dressed? So <laughs> I said, uh, listen, I said, but that show's going to be there, and tell the boys from Paramount I'm never going to cancel it. It's going to be on until the end of time. 26 years later, that show's still on the air. And it is on. And uh, I still on because I said, you, the, I'm never going to let the boys from Paramount ever, ever mm. convince a TV station. I won't do what I say I'm going to do. You're going to have more faith in me than all the studios put together. That show will never go off the air. Mm.